you're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. Um, morning. It's really good to see everybody today. So, the parable of the banquet, and thanks so much to Rosie and Tumo. Really fantastic reading, and I love that version of it. I'm going to start with a story about my family, and in the Boxer family, we have several traditions that we often return to when we meet up, and one of the longest standing is to spend an afternoon taking turns to roll down a nearby hill. Skateboards, bodyboards, toddler cars, bikes, rollerblades, or just roly-polies, loads of us take part, and it never seems to lose its appeal, however many hours we seem to keep it going. But my favourite family tradition is the show or tell. Similar to what you do in primary schools, um, in some primary schools. But the first time I remember doing it was at my grand's birthday party. We invited each other to share a poem or a story, a piece of music or photos. It was really lovely, but only a few people volunteered to show and tell. An uncle showed old, old photos. One of my cousins was persuaded to sing a song and another uncle told his favourite stories about his mum. Some of us just watched, and while others of us had something we might have shared, it felt too exposing and risky to join in that time. Since then, it's gained momentum, and we do it more, more and more often when we're together. Everyone's grown in confidence, contributing, and now it needs, it's something that needs to be planned well in advance, an early dinner and a full evening dedicated to it. When I went home to visit most recently, my nieces and nephews had been preparing for days. My brother began proceedings, reminding us of the ground rules. No one has to share, but whoever does must be celebrated and must be enjoyed. I mean, it wasn't difficult to enjoy. First up was my five-year-old nephew showing off his new magic trick. With a long and very complicated introduction, when it finally was revealed, it involved turning a torch on and off. (laughs) One niece shared her favourite picture of a horse. Another read a story she'd written, and another had made all of the characters from the Easter story. Um, She used a sharpie to decorate jam jars to represent each of the religious leaders that accused Jesus. There was a paper cut out for each of the women in the story and an angel made from bird feathers that she'd collected from the garden. Really amazing. My mum, quite surprisingly, shared a new move she'd learned at her Pilates class. (laughs) And after her expert demonstration, she managed to persuade us all to try it out. But the evening culminated in my eldest nephew's presentation of a volcano. We left him until last because he was adamant that we needed to go outside to see his contribution. We crowded around a little mound of gravel and watched as he poured vinegar into his pre-placed but hidden bottle containing baking soda. It fizzed and made an eruption, prompting cheers and applause from everybody. I loved it. Everybody in. Everybody brave enough to show up and contribute. And everybody celebrated whether they were showing off a torch, a Pilates move, or their volcano explosion. And I tell you this story because I think that the parable we're retelling today is about how we respond to an invitation to celebration, about everybody in, about being able to show up and share your little torch or your Pilates move or your volcano. So when we joined the story we heard in the reading, Jesus was at the home of an important religious leader. And the expectation was that he, as a visiting teacher, would be questioned on his views. He'd just been asked a series of questions designed to catch him out. And when someone at the meal says, 
Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What was really happening was that Jesus was being asked what he thought about the coming kingdom. The banquet, and we've heard lots about banquets today, which is great, was a well-recognized representation of salvation coming, the kingdom of God being fulfilled. Various different versions were known, and these versions ranged from one where all were invited to another where a very select group of people were welcome. What the religious leaders were asking Jesus was, which of these is true? Who would be at the feast? What needed to be done to guarantee a place? Instead of fulfilling expectations and Jesus saying the rules about who needed to be there, he tells a parable. And it starts with an invitation. A man is holding a banquet, a feast, a celebration, an opportunity to enjoy his friends, his food, and to have a good time being together. Those listening would have grown up in traditional Middle Eastern villages where if a person wanted to hold a banquet, they'd invite a group of friends in advance of the meal. Once the guests had replied and the hosts had the number confirmed, then the host would decide how much meat to buy and to prepare. Everyone lived fairly close, so once the food was ready, then they would send out the servant and tell everyone, thank you for saying you're going to come, it's now ready, please come and eat. The equivalent now is when you might be invited over for dinner at somebody's house, a fancy dinner, and when you arrive, you sit on the sofas, on the comfy chairs in the living room, while the food's being finished off, being prepared. And then, later on in the evening, you're invited to move to the table to eat. In Jesus' parable, the guests have previously confirmed their attendance, but when they're invited to come and eat, when the food was ready, each of them makes an excuse not to attend. The first character says that he'd recently bought land and that he needs to go and inspect it. The people listening to Jesus' parable would have known how ridiculous this was, and actually it was great in the reading earlier that it got a few laughs because we started to understand how ridiculous those um, excuses were. At the time, you'd never buy land without having checked it carefully over several months or years so that you were sure it was worthy investment. It's a bit similar to if I was to say, I can't come and meet you for a drink tonight because I've just got my keys for my new flat that I've bought, but I haven't been to see it yet, so I'm going to see it now. Everyone would have known this was a terrible excuse. The guest was causing the host public insult, obviously choosing not to attend without good reason. In the original version, the next guest says that he can't attend because he needs to inspect the five oxen he's bought. It's a similarly offensive, poor excuse. Everyone at the time knew that if you were going to buy oxen, you need to have trialled them before putting an offer in. I don't know how good your agricultural awareness is, but oxen apparently worked together in pairs, and so they needed to be the oxen that worked at the same pace and that tired at the same pace. It was ridiculous to say that you'd already bought them, and then you would go and check whether you wanted them. The excuses from the guests continue, and the servant who's been passing on the message about the food being ready ends up returning back to the master to pass on the bad news. Here in the parable, we and the listeners at the time can understand why the host is angry. The food is ready to serve, and despite the guests having initially accepted a special invite, they now humiliate the host by refusing to attend with a seemingly false excuse. Really, they have somewhere else they'd rather be. Interestingly, and I'm glad Steve mentioned Kids Church, when we looked at this story in Kids Church, this was the bit of the story that the children really didn't understand. They just couldn't 
conceive of the idea that you'd be invited to something fantastic and not go because you wanted to look at something you'd bought. And yet it did make sense to me. I wondered about an equivalent modern situation where a wonderful invitation is made and we don't hear it. We don't hear it because our headphones are on. We're not looking up. We're too engrossed in the current series of Love Island and we can't miss an episode. Or a time when I don't see what's really happening in a situation. I say no because I'm not willing to stay out late because I get up early for work. Or I don't want to miss a week at the volunteering project to help with. Or it's the night that I run home and I can't fit it in. Barbara Brown Taylor um, writes about this in her book. It's a fantastic book that I've really enjoyed. I'd definitely recommend it. It's called An Altar in the World. And it's a book about practices that help us to pay attention, to remain present, not to miss what's happening right in front of us. As she introduces us to those practices, before she introduces them, she sets the scene by saying this. Wherever you are, you live in the world which is just waiting for you to notice the holiness in it. Sometimes I find in kids' church, and to be honest, I'm more often out there than I am in here, and it's great for me because sometimes I find that children see things and get things that we've complicated. Sometimes they can see right through the complexities that we've created around an obvious situation. You've had a brilliant invitation. Obviously, you would attend. Back to our parable. And the host is understandably angry. In theory, the banquet's a failure and should be shut down. And instead, the host turns his anger into grace. His public humiliation is transformed into an act of generosity and he invites just the people who the listeners in Jesus' time thought would be banned to come to the banquet. These were the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Or as we heard in our reading, those on disability benefit. Just the people that the religious leaders were expecting Jesus to confirm not able to attend. These people come straight into the banquet and they are ready to accept an invitation. But even after these people have arrived, there are still spaces in the hall. The servants on a roll and ask the master what he should do. And this is where I think it gets really interesting. The host says to his servant to go to the roads and lanes and compel people to come. I imagine this servant going outside of the village following his master's request, but he's going to people he'd never seen or spoken to before. In fact, people he's avoided, who everyone in his culture has been told to avoid. He's managing his own surprise, his own disgust, his own disapproval, his own confusion on his way there. Perhaps he's worrying about the reaction he'll face from them, from the very people that he's ignored or distrusted or disassociated from. He's instructed to compel them to come in. And knew that he would need to, because surely these people wouldn't take an unusual invite seriously. This line, compel them to come, seems to be an acknowledgement of what's needed for outsiders with no social status. Those people would have had a hard time believing that they were really wanted. The host knew this, and he was ready for it. This isn't a forcing, rather an understanding that people who've previously had an experience of rejection or judgment will need convincing of an invitation of acceptance and celebration. 
Such outsiders need someone to confirm that there is indeed a welcome awaiting them. On first exposure, grace can be unbelievable. At our year 11 prom this week, I saw a similar thing happening. Um, Silvertown, Oasis Silvertown's a year behind Southbank, so our year 11s have just reached um, the end of school. And for us as teachers, it's the first set of year 11s that we've seen through. So it was a really, really special event. Um, All the students were invited. And whatever you think about proms, there's sometimes things in the news where people aren't sure about them. I think it is a great time to appreciate and acknowledge and celebrate 16-year-olds, regardless of the ups and downs that we might have had with them during their time in school. It was interesting, though, seeing how all the students reacted to their invitations. Some of them were excited right away, designing their outfits, showing us photos of what they were hoping to wear, organising their transport, making sure they'd have the flashiest car, planning their photo shoots and organising lengthy afternoons to get ready. Others were excited but hesitant. One girl I worked closely with, we'll call her Summer, was worried about money. How would she get a dress? How would she get there in transport that wouldn't make her look poor or feel less worthy of the event? She needed to be compelled to be there. Another member of the school community set up a dress fitting, gathering prom dress donations in different colours and sizes, and invited our students to come and try them on and choose one to wear for the event. Summer was so excited to choose a dress, not only going along to the dress fitting herself, but actually rounding up other girls who needed the same thing. It worked. She took a dress that she loved. She felt special and she looked beautiful on the night. Another young person I work with, we'll call her Georgia, worried about the prom, being with a big group of people, not fitting in, not looking good enough. We offered her the same dress fitting event, daily encouragement, talked through how she might manage the feelings of unworthiness that she was experiencing. However, she struggled to let go of her internal story about her own difference and her own worries. Sadly, it meant that she cancelled and plans to get ready with Summer on the afternoon of the prom. Her story in her head meant that she arrived deliberately late, hovered by the door for a while before she managed to come in, left early, didn't join in the dancing, and struggled to be a part of the celebration she'd been invited to. Brené Brown researches and writes about shame, which she describes as the never-good-enough emotion. It's the feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging and connection. We all experience it and it usually has two strong messages. Never good enough. And who do you think you are? When we experience this, the temptation is to make ourselves smaller, to retreat to turn up late for the prom, not to join in, to turn down an invitation. And yet, we do have another option. Nadia Boltz-Weber talks about this as a voice of shame that's on constant repeat in her head. But the way she manages it is that she knows it is the opposite to the voice of God. While the voice of God is one of warmth and invitation for all of us, The voice of shame is that that questions whether you're good enough and who you think you are. 
She comments that the voice of shame shuts us down into a smaller world and it becomes just about you and your worries. Georgia was so focused on her own worries that she didn't consider that other people might actually want her there. And ultimately, she missed out on the full experience of her prom. When we get stuck in our heads worrying, we miss the good things in front of us. We don't find out in Jesus' parable whether the final group of guests did come to the banquet. We don't know whether they were like summer and needed compelling, but then found it possible to believe in grace and acceptance and celebration of themselves. We don't know whether they were like Georgia and didn't quite manage to quiet the worries or stories of exclusion that stopped her accepting herself and enjoying the celebration. We don't know whether they were like the people in my family who were initially hesitant about accepting the invitation to celebrate each other and show and tell, but with time learned to take a risk, to be vulnerable by being present, showing up with a torch or a Pilates move or a volcano experiment. But we do know that the host wanted them there. We know that this is a story where all means all. It's not a story about whether you are in or out of God's kingdom. It isn't a test or a way to make anyone feel guilty about not showing up often enough. It is a story about invitation and celebration. The point is that we are all invited. All means all. And it's also an invitation to reflect on what sometimes stops us hearing that warm and grace-filled voice of God that Nadia talks about. It'll be different for each of us. Perhaps it's our busyness that stops us, the way we fill up every moment and miss God's invitations when we're focused on our own achievements, status or purchases. Perhaps it's our own worries or judgment that keep us focused internally and stop us stepping out with courage and enjoying being seen. This isn't a story about signing up to a rotor or a project or a volunteering team or being productive. It is a story of celebration. The banquet is happening on Saturday the 13th of July and you are invited. Last Sunday morning, um, I don't know if you were here, but we held a dedication for little Jessie. And you never quite know how a baby will react when they're at the front of church and everybody's watching. Little Jessie's response was amazing. As we talked about him, he got down and wobbled to the front away from his parents. And as Steve talked about him and there were prayers said for him, he stood in front of everybody with his arms wide open, smiling. There was no shame, there was no worry that he wouldn't be accepted. There was no distraction that anything else could be better than this moment where he was being celebrated. Instead, he was loving it. He was accepting being welcomed in and acknowledged. And after he'd enjoyed that for a while, he wandered over to the corner and picked up a bell and came back and continued shaking his bell, enjoying it as well. As we finish, I'd like to pray for us. May you respond to the invitation to be at the banquet by saying yes, by standing like Jesse, confident and smiling with open arms, knowing that you are accepted.
May you find a way to quieten those voices of shame that question your right to be there. May you take the risk to turn up with your volcano experiment, not knowing whether it will work or not, and find that people cheer when you present it. May you be present and hear the invitation, knowing when to put down the busyness and plans and achievements that feel so important so much of the time. And may you compel others to come along too when they need convincing, encouraging, and reminding of God's grace. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.